And tonight, um, I want to share out of Ephesians chapter 4. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Um, it's a passage about the church, but I think it's just something that excites me about the vision of who we are and who we're becoming and where we're going. So you can turn there in your Bible if you want to, um, but I think this will be really, really key for us. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a break from our Here For It series next week. We're going to spend two weeks kind of looking ahead what we think the Spirit is saying to us as a church next week and the week after, and then we're going to jump back into Here For It again, and we're going to hear for, from a few members members of this church, uh, sharing and encouraging us just around different topics around what it means to be the church. So if you guys can prioritize the next few weeks, and I think till the end of the year, there's going to be a lot of encouragement coming to us as a community. Now this passage in Ephesians 4 is a beautiful one, but it's also a weird one because it's talking about maturity. And I don't think for any of us, when we think about the church, the word maturity is really a sexy, cool adjective that you'd want to use to describe her, you know? If your friends say to you, hey, tell me about the church that you go to, you know, you might say, oh, it's amazing, it's fun, it's progressive, it's this, it's whatever, cutting edge. You don't want to say, my church is really mature, because that sounds really lame. The word mature is not a word you would want to use to describe yourself, probably. If someone said to you, oh, tell me about Neil. If the first word that came out of someone's mouth was mature, you'd go, oof, that does not speak well of me. You know, oh, I'm a really mature person. And one of the reasons is because the word mature often means old. You know, it's a polite way of saying that person is old. So when someone says, oh, there, Neil's really mature, you think gray hair, or he doesn't mind. Okay, you've got some crow's feet over here, you've got a cane you walk here along with. Mature isn't one of those words that we necessarily love or get excited about. And I think part of that is because our culture is obsessed with youth. Our culture loves youth. You know, people don't like getting old, spend billions of rand, you know, trying to stop ourselves from getting older, looking younger, staying fit, staying healthy. I actually, um, I couldn't sleep this week. I woke up, uh, you know, kind of load shedding situation, my printer making a big noise, and I was up from 2.30 one morning this week. So I watched a movie called Old. It's a brand new movie directed by M. Night Shyamalan, if you know him. He directed The Sixth Sense, Split, Glass, no film buffs here, not interested. He does a, like quite a few of the thrillers, you know, but they also have a bit of a horror edge. They're not horror films, but they're like these thriller horror films that he makes. And Old is his new movie that's just come out. And it's really about this, about people getting old really quickly. That's the horror premise, you know, for the film. And it shows something about our culture that actually aging is so horrifying and scary for us. These people go on holiday, they get taken by the resort to the beach, and on that beach they age at the speed of two years per hour. Horrifying, and they can't get away, and they age really, really quickly. We don't like the thought of aging. We don't like the thought of being mature. And I know that because if Shell and I were going out on a date, and she was looking really good, and did her makeup and her hair, put on a really nice dress, and said, how do I look? And I went, snoobs, you look so mature, she would be bummed with me. And that would be our first fight of the evening. It's not what you want to be told. You want to be like, oh, beautiful, amazing, stunning. You take my breath away. Mature is not one of those adjectives we like. So tonight as I speak about this, I fully get if you're here and you're going, ah, you know, this isn't like the most exciting topic, but give me a moment because I think this is powerful for us. And I think even as I prepared this message, you know, I, I was thinking, what does mature even mean? You know, I'm 35 now. I'm married, got a kid, I'm a father, clearly that's old to some of you, knocking on 40's door. Um, I'm older, 
You know, I'm getting older. I like eating mushrooms now. You know, before I didn't. Mushrooms as a kid were a nightmare. Now, oh, a good mushroom sauce is the dream. Yeah, this, well, Don's calling himself young, which is pretty generous to yourself, but okay. But I enjoy that. I love a good glass of red wine. You know, that's kind of like a, a refined drink. I love drinking red wine. I, I've grown up and I make slightly less poo jokes than I used to when I was younger. And when I think about all of those things about myself, it's like, is, is that what maturity is? You know, is getting older maturity? Is eating mushrooms and liking mushrooms maturity? Is making less poop jokes maturity? Because is that the vision we've got for our lives? Mushrooms and less poop jokes? And whatever the church version of that is, is that what we're living for? You know, mushrooms and less poop jokes. So what is maturity really? And one definition of to be mature is to be fully developed physically or full grown. And there's this process of development. You know, this process that we go on of growing and learning and developing. So we mature physically. Some of us got taller over time. Some of us didn't. We grow hair in new places. Last year, for the first time, I had to wax my nostrils and my ears because I've got hair growing in new places. You get beards, you get belly strength, which is something I will claim, you know. We get physically stronger and mature over time. And hopefully we get emotionally mature too. Through the experiences of life, we're given this opportunity to become wiser and more mature and more compassionate and more empathetic and more thoughtful as people. Maturity in every way means that we're developing positively, that we're growing. So what does it look like for us, not just individually, but as a church, to be mature, to be healthy, to be developing, to be growing, to be becoming that ideal that we want to be? So this is what Ephesians 4 has to say to us. In turn to verse 11 in your Bible, it will be up on the screens. But this is a passage written by Paul the Apostle who loved the church. Paul loved the church. He planted a bunch of churches. He gave his life for the church. He's a church lover. And yeah, he's giving us this vision of the church at its best and what it can look like. And it says this from verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love this vision of the church at its best. And there's a lot in there. So this can take a bit of time to process and take in fully, and hopefully we can do that tonight. But I think wherever you are in your faith journey tonight, you know, whether you're full on all about Jesus, following him passionately, whether you're exploring the faith, wherever you stand, every one of us in this room have an idea about what the church is and what the church should do. But one of the things this passage helps us to think about is for us individually, what does it mean for me to be the church? What does it mean for me to play the role that God has called me to play in the church personally? There's a quote that I love by a theologian named Scott McKnight. He says, God's mission in this world is to create the church where God's will is lived out by all of God's people. 
not just to attend a service on Sunday and tithe and give money so we can keep doing this and serve a little so that everything happens. No, he says God's mission in this world is to create the church where God's will is lived out by all of God's people. That is the mission. That's the purpose. That's what Ephesians 4 is all about. So what does it look like for us to be the church that God had in mind, the church that God loves, the church that he's building? Let's get into it. Well, firstly, this passage passage speaks about the role Jesus plays. Jesus is active in his church. And we see that one of the things he does is he gives gifted leaders to the church to help build up the church and help the church mature into all that God has called it to be. And from that, every member matures and then plays a role in building up the church with their gifts too. So we've got the leaders playing a role to develop the church and then the members playing a role. It's kind of this top-down and bottom-up, trickle-down, trickle-up, which sounds a little bit disgusting kind of effect. You know, there's this role of God through people and then every person in the church playing a role to see the church shaped to be all that God has called it to be. A guy named Steve Morell in a book called Wiki Church, Tool's book, saying we talked about this one. He, he breaks down this passage into mentors, maturity, and ministry. That's kind of the flow of what's going on here. Starts with these leaders, these, these gifts that God gives, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And they play a role as mentors to see the church do ministry so that the church grows into maturity. And that's really key. So Jesus is at work in his church. He gives leaders who help the church to do ministry, to be equipped for ministry. And as we minister, and that word minister, I think, trips us up sometimes because we think supernatural ministry, very spiritual work, and some of us disqualify ourselves. We think, no, not me. God doesn't use me in that way. He hasn't chosen me. But the Latin root for that word minister means to serve. I prefer that word because that feels every day whether it's a very supernatural-looking service, whether it's a very natural-looking service, the church is equipped to serve one another, to serve God, to build each other up in love, to do ministry. And what we see here is we don't wait till we become mature to minister. I think that's one of the things we believe. It's like, oh, I'm not there. I'm not ready for that yet. But what we see in this passage is we don't wait until we're fully mature and don't have problems anymore to minister. No, actually, as we do ministry, As we serve one another, as we serve God, we grow up into maturity. That's huge. Which means if you are not ministering, if you're not loving and serving, if you're not using the gifts that God has given you and entrusted to you, then you're not going to mature. You're not going to grow up into who God has called you to be, and the church will be the less for it. Our daughter, August, who is the star of every sermon, I was joking about this at the door. I think it's Jesus first and then August. You know, that's kind of like the the order of my messages at the moment. But she's 20 months old. She's still in nappies. Um, She's hard work. She doesn't give much back to the family. Uh, She takes a lot out of us. And this week, she won. Like the last three days, she didn't sleep in the afternoon. At the end of the day, we were exhausted. You know, we're like, oh, this baby, (laughs) she's won. And the house was a mess. We get her into bed. We clean up all of her toys. We make dinner. And we're just absolutely done. And really, she takes a lot. But we're not just there to keep her alive and happy. We, We went for a walk with her this morning. And every time we're on the road, I have this kind of sick thought. If something happened to us and she was just left on the street, she's so vulnerable. She can't take care of herself. 
We feed her, clothe her, change her nappies, we protect her, we do everything for her. Look at baby animals being born in the wild. They're born, they're walking. They're able to go and eat for themselves. They, they can take care of themselves. August can't. She's dependent on us for everything. So we're keeping her alive, but we're also training her. And this is where Shell is so good. You know, August takes a lot, but we're investing for the long run. And one of the things Shell does is Shell says to her, August, please will you put this in the bin? And gives her a little bit of trash, and she goes to the dustbin with one little piece, takes off the lid and throws it in, and puts the lid back on. She's playing a role. Sometimes we give her some dirty clothes and say, August, will you put this in the washing machine or the clothes bin? Will you do that for us? And she does. She toddles off, and sometimes she gets it right, or she gets it close. Today, she bought me my lunch. Knocked on my door. I think mom was helping. Holding this plate, shell behind her, and I took the plate from her while I was working and preparing for tonight. It was absolutely amazing. She's learning. Now, most of the time, we have to clean up after her. She's not doing this well. You know, she's doing the best she can. She makes mistakes. My car keys have gone missing. So I think she threw them in the bin and they've gone out and it is what it is. But we are training her so that she will grow up and play a role in the family and minister and serve and love us through what she does. But I want you to imagine this. As hard as that work is, as easy as it is for Shell and I to do it, imagine August gets to 21 and we've never put any of that in place. We say, okay, August, uh, you're grown up. You should be mature now, so there's some new stuff that you're going to have to do. Firstly, we're not changing your nappy anymore. You need to go to the bathroom for yourself. We're not bathing you anymore. You need to clean yourself. We're not going to feed you. You need to cook. We're not going to clean your room. You need to clean up after yourself. You need to dress yourself. We've been doing that for 21 years. There's been a pattern that's been set, which is going to be a disaster for our future. 21 years of thinking everyone exists just for me, to take care of me, to do everything for me, and now all of a sudden everything has to change. No, 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 if that happens, if you wait till you're mature before you start doing ministry, a problem sets in. Each one of us are called to play a role from a young age, developing, growing, learning, serving, loving, so that the church is built up in love. Mentors lead to ministry, which leads to maturity. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verse 1 at the beginning of this chapter, and he says, I, a prisoner for the Lord. Paul was in prison. He's not speaking metaphorically. He's in prison writing this. A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what is it God has called me to? Paul had clarity on that. If you read at the start of nearly any of his letters, he knows. He says, I, Paul, an apostle of God by the will of Christ. He knows who he is. He knows what he's called to do. But here he's speaking to the church. Live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It's almost this reminder to each one of us to say, God, what is it you want from me? What have you gifted me for? What is it you're saying to me at the moment? I, I want to be obedient to that call. I want to be faithful to that call. I grant a dot, dot, dot by the will of God. I, Callum, a dot, dot, dot by the will of God. I, Eugene, a dot, dot, dot by the will of God. How do you fill in that blank? What is it that God has called you to? And then to take personal responsibility for that call. A baby in the nappies doesn't take responsibility. The adults take responsibility. You know, I, I am responsible for what God has called me to. I, I'm going to live it out. And the reality is we're not just called to the purpose of God out there. What we see in Ephesians 4 is we're called to the purposes of God in here, in the family of God too. 
And Paul starts showing us that Jesus gives us these gifted leaders in the church to equip the church, to build the church up, to help the church grow into maturity so that we know Jesus for ourselves and can do the stuff. And as Alan Hirsch says, these are the apest gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, and shepherd or pastor. Now, if you've visited other churches before, or if you listen to any sermon podcast during the week, you'll know that not everyone preaches the way I do. That's maybe good and bad. You know, some of you might be fans of my preaching, some of you might not be. But there's a reality that I have a certain gift, I have a certain style, I've got a certain way of preaching. Tools preached in the church, I don't know, three or four years ago, whenever it last was. Even as he shared tonight, you say, oh, the way he's sharing and ministering up front, serving us from up front, is different to some of the ways you might have heard preachers do it, or the way I do it. There's this reality that as I preach, you might go, wow, as Grant preaches, this happens, and this is kind of what he does. But when that person preaches, they do this, and this is what they do. This is the result of their ministry. And some preachers might speak more to the heart than the head. Some maybe are very practical, theological, or inspirational. Maybe some emphasize different things. And what's going on in Ephesians 4 is Paul is saying that God has gifted different leaders in different ways for specific purposes, all to equip and build up the church for maturity. I think the best way to see the gifts is this way. Some of you might have heard me use this illustration before. But if we see the church as a tent, then we understand the way these gifts work. I know some of you are big campers. Some of you are glampers. You know, that's all you do. You'll glamp, you won't camp. But in camping, you take out your tent, you put it on the grass, you've got the ground sheet, you've got all of your stuff, put your pole in, and then you pull out these cords and nail them into the ground. Now the church in this example has got five cords going out, stretching in each way. If you stretch one of those cords out and nail it into the ground with the peg in, you're not gonna enjoy sleeping that night. Because if the wind comes, or if you bump that pole, the tent is going down and you're gonna suffocate. It's gonna be a nightmare. If it rains, it's gonna be a nightmare. Now, if you stretch out two or three of those cords, it's better. The tent's still a bit droopy in some places, a little bit flimsy and floppy, but as a whole, you can sleep there. It works. But here the illustration Paul is giving is of all five of those cords pulled out well, so the tent is taut and tight in the way it is meant to be. If you don't like that illustration, what about this one? Some of you are big gym people. Uh, as you can tell, I love the gym. Love it, but... But some people hit the gym every day like me, and they just love just pumping iron out there all the time. And what you're meant to do is you're meant to work your whole body, you know? Either work different machines or work different things on different days. And if you do that, you'll have a kind of all-round good look, you know? You'll be muscular, you'll be lean, you'll be strong, whatever it is. But the joke is you don't skip legs day. And you know those guys who've got the massive guns like me, and then the other guys who've got the really skinny legs because they've never worked on them. You know, they skip that in the gym because that doesn't look good in the pics. So what the chicks are after, you know. And the idea is that we need all five of these gifts in the church so the church is healthy and an all-rounder and strong and mature and looks the way it's meant to look. On the gram, you can just work your guns, take the pics, and everyone's like, oh, that church is hot. But when you look kind of below the crease, you look at the legs, you realize actually this church isn't as mature and healthy as it's meant to be. We need all five exercises. We need all four cords to be who God has made us to be. So let's look briefly at these gifts. And I hope as I just share what each of them is, it pulls on your hearts a little bit and maybe helps you to think about what the church is meant to look like at its best. 
The first pull is the apostolic pull. It pulls us towards the horizon. The apostle pioneers and sends people out for ministry and God's purposes. The apostle starts new churches, starts new ministries. They extend the gospel into new areas, into new people groups, into new contexts. They lay foundations so that the church is mature and strong. They plant the gospel in new soil and they keep the mission front and center for the church, reminding the church that there's more than just ourselves. There's a whole world out there. Paul's such a good example of this because Paul would go into a new area, new context, new soil. He'd preach about Jesus. A group of followers would develop these disciples and they would become a church community. And then he'd hand over that community to a new leader and he'd move on to the next place and he'd do it again and again and again. The next is the prophetic. The prophet pulls us towards God. And you know some people like this. You know, they love God. You get around them, you're like, God is alive. He's alive. They pull us towards God in worship and in prophecy. They pull us towards prayer and social justice. They call us to God and God's ways. And they're calling us out of idols and the ways of the culture around us, saying, no, 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 don't forget, this is the way of God. This is who he is. This is what he's called us to do and to be like. And these prophets, if you, you know any of them, they can be quite black and white. They can be quite stubborn about the ways things should work. They can challenge. They can be abrasive because they are calling the church out of the ways of the world around them and calling them back into the ways of God. They challenge the status quo. They challenge the way things are. But like any of these gifts, if they're not balanced with the others, they can be unhealthy. You know, the prophets detached from others, detached from God's word, can become very liberal. They see the problem and they're very concerned about the problem. Or some of you might know these kinds of prophets. They almost seem detached from the realities of the world. Their heads are in the cloud and these supernatural realities, but disconnected from the word of God and the realities of the world around us. The evangelists, they pull us towards those outside of the church, to those who don't yet know Jesus. And some of you know these people well. Probably a lot of us are in this church because of an evangelist, or at least a friend who said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me invite you to church. These evangelists love spending time with people outside the church, people who don't know Jesus. They love it. They love engaging with them and talking to them about Jesus and help them to cross the line of faith. They're like the salesmen of the kingdom, but not in a fake way, not in a manipulative way, not just trying to get out of people what they want. No, but they're just really good. They get people excited about Jesus and his stuff. They recruit, they reach, they excite people with the message of Jesus, which is hard to do. Because when you share about Jesus with people, you're really saying, hey, you're a sinner. Hey, you're far from God. You need Jesus. You need to turn and trust in him and then follow him for the rest of your life. Leave your old life behind and follow him. And these guys have got a gift with doing that, that as they share about him in this way, people are like, you're right. I do, that's amazing, that's such good news, and respond to him. Now, all of us in this room are called to share about Jesus with others. All of us, whether your personality type is right or not, whether you're introverted or extroverted, whether this comes naturally to you or not. But for the evangelist, this is very, very easy. It excites them, they come alive doing this. Then we've got the pastor or the shepherd, pulls the church in towards the flock, in towards one another. And they focus on the spiritual maturity and the protection of the church, making and caring for the disciples in this community. And that can be a huge weakness. What can happen with the pastoral gift is people can become very dependent on the pastor and not dependent on God. 
The pastor gives us what we need. He teaches us. He cares for us. He prays for us. And we don't know God for ourselves. And we don't trust in him. I think it's maybe one of the gifts of the last 20 months. It's for people in churches who maybe have been too dependent on leaders or church community that we've been forced to trust in him, to know him, to push deeper into him. I know many people maybe haven't done that, but for those who have, they've, they've become dependent on him for their life. Pastors can also make the church quite inward focused. You know, it's just about our community, our people, our needs. We shrink the world of seven and a bit billion people into just our small world. We can't ever do that. We need to think of the whole of Durban and South Africa and the world. And lastly, the teacher pulls us toward the Bible. And if you've ever heard someone with this gift speak, it's amazing. Because they might be teaching from a passage you've heard taught out of a hundred times. And as they share, you go, this is amazing. I've never heard this before. The scriptures have come alive. They've become so clear. And you go home and you read the same passage and you're like, how did he do that? How did she do that? Like the scriptures just came so alive as he did that. I can't do the same thing. But the teacher's got this gift to simplify and clarify God's word so that we see it and we're just built up. It takes us out of a sloppy faith, out of a shallow faith into a depths of God to the more of God the more of what it means to follow him and be his people and then the danger with the teacher is the teacher can love books and ideas more than people they can have a very academic and lifeless faith great with knowledge but not great with the life of God and as I go through those gifts one of the things I hope that you're hearing is maybe the gift God has given you and you think, this is actually the way I'm wired. I definitely resonate with that one the most. And that would be great to know that actually God's gifted me in this way. He's given me those lenses. That's how I see church. That's how I see the world. That's how I see ministry. But then also to realize that there's a bias and a weakness that comes alongside that gift. We don't just need one. We need all five. We don't just need the one. We need all five. We don't want to skip legs day. We want to be a healthy, mature church. So if even as I'm sitting here, you're saying, we need more of that one. We need more of that. You might be right. But the reality is that probably reveals the gift that you have better. The reason you're saying that or you think that is because God has wired you in that way to pull on the cords of Harbor City, to stretch us out, to become more the church that God has called us to be. So we need each of these pulls on our lives as a church to stretch us out to be the church God has made us to be. So leaders are given to the church according to Ephesians 4. Verse 12 says this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. The idea here is that those leaders equip the church so that the church does ministry and builds up the church so that she is mature and united and knows God. It's this cycle that's going on. It's amazing. Church leaders are called to equip the church to do ministry, not to do all the ministry themselves. And that's a big paradigm shift for some people coming into the church about expectations and understandings of what happens in the church. Some people think, oh, that guy up front, we pay him to do the ministry ministry to us and the ministry for us. But what we see here in this passage is that's not the way it works. Actually, the, the people up front, the, the me's and others who speak in the church, we're here to equip the church to do the ministry, not do all of the ministry ourselves. And there's a, a huge picture here of the difference between a consumer mentality and a Christian mentality. 
the, the culture around us has got much more of a consumeristic mentality. And that's where the church would be a product or the church is a service. And you pay your dues, whatever that is, and then the church gives you what you want out of it. But the Christian mentality is that the, the church are the people of God. We are God's people that God is forming more and more to do his will and embody it in the world. And the consumer mentality, the leaders exist to serve you. You tithe so that they do the ministry. But in the Christian mentality, the leaders exist to serve you by equipping you so that you can minister and serve and build up the church in love. I know that sounds like I'm being a lazy pastor, saying, hey guys, <laughs> it's all about you doing the ministry. But what we see here is that my gift or, or, or my job is to use my gift to equip you to use your gifts to build the church up in love. And Ephesians 4 saying, I fail as a pastor if everyone is dependent on me for everything and if no one can do anything without me around. Because ministry is not my job, it's our job. Ministry is what God is doing through us. Does that make sense? Thanks at the back there in your eyes. I love that. love the passion of the back pew. There's a line in this passage that I love the most. It's, it's probably, to me, the most exciting line in this passage. I've taken it on as something of a vision for what God has called me to do and something of a vision for what I'd love to see formed in Harbor City. But in verse 13, Paul describes maturity, that unsexy word in this way. He describes it as growing up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I, I hate phrases like that in the Bible because you can just read through them and not take in what's going on. You actually need to sit and chew on that. Say, so what does that mean? It's a lot of big words together, which surely means something, but you can just gloss over it. To grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our goal. When you think of the word measure, I don't know what comes to your mind, but I think of kids growing up and at their birthday, they get measured. You know, you put them against the door, draw the little line, write the name and the age or, or the date that that happened. And I've loved that seeing in people's homes, watching their kids grow up on the doorpost, you know. Well, I know we've had a lot of weddings in this church over the last while. Maybe you've been fitted for a suit or a dress. And you go and the tailor kind of measures your height and width and depth and inseam and everything. And they, they make this bespoke outfit for you or they tailor something that you've hired so that it fits you perfectly. That's the idea of measuring here. The church is the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet, his ears and mouth in society. And the question here is, do we measure up to or fit Jesus? If he tried us on as his body, his outfit, would we fit him or would we be kind of like baggy and out of sorts and fitting in some parts, too tight here, too loose here? How would that all work? The picture of the mature church is that more and more and more we're measuring up to all that it means to be the body of Jesus in the city. The second word is stature, which sounds like it means the same as measure, but it means more than height. Your stature is your reputation. It's what you're known for. It's, uh, what else can you say? It's, it's, your prestige or your renown. In Acts 11 verse 26, the church in Antioch have been active in that place for a while. And what happens is they're preaching about Jesus and this community of believers, comes, or sorry, of unbelievers, those in the city around them who've heard their message, come up to them and say, you guys look so much like the Jesus you're talking about, which is a real honor for the church. You look so much like him, we're gonna call you Christians, little Christs. In our world today, the church is labeled hypocrite, 
You're not like the Jesus you preach. You're not like the message you speak about. Here in Acts eleven twenty six, they come. In, they're like, you're like Jesus, guys. We're going to call you little Jesuses. And the church goes, cool. We're Christians now. Let's carry on. They had this renown, this reputation for being like him. And we would love that too. We grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Fullness being everything that is about Jesus. Not just some, not just a little bit. All of him, we want it all. When you think of something being full, it's to the brim. You can't put anything else in it. And for us, if we want to be full of Jesus, we might have to pour out some other stuff to let him fill us more. Maybe that's even something tonight. You could say, Jesus, would you take these things from me because I want more of you inside of myself. The more a mature church is growing up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what I want to give my life to, and that's what I want to see formed in us. And this passage ends with a charge to the church, to the gifted, called members of the community. And in verse 15 and 16, it says this Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here in this passage, we see that in the mature church, there's a partnership between God and his people. Jesus is our head. He leads us. Life and salvation flows from him to us. He directs us and guides us as his people. And then we, as his body, we do the work of Jesus in the world here in Durban, as we go to the elections, as we're at work, as we're at home, as we're in our neighborhoods, we do his work. And to highlight the one part that it speaks about here, when each part of the church body is working properly, is doing what it's meant to do, then the body makes itself built up. It builds itself up. It grows itself up in love. So let's end with this. What what is our calling, our role as members of this church or if you're a member of another church, what what does it mean there? Firstly, take your faith seriously. Take your faith seriously. Jesus has called us to follow him. He's called us to do his work in the world. Here we see that we are each called to be equipped to do ministry. So we wanna do that. We wanna take being equipped to minister seriously. We, We wanna grow and mature into these things. The New Testament often speaks about maturity and talks about little babies and then adults. And kind of the question is, where do you land? And the sad warning of Hebrews that these hardy dolls, they buy into 100%. The sad warning of Hebrews is that you can be in the church for 20 years, like August on her 21st, and still be in spiritual nappies. You know, you've let everyone serve you, but you haven't grown up into that maturity yourself where by now you should be serving others. You're still sitting there saying, hey, Grant, when's, when's dinner time? Hey, Mom, Dad, where's the help? Paul is saying that shouldn't be the case. Each of us are called to apply the things that are being taught here on Sundays to our lives, to, to live them out, and in our own lives, to be seeking Jesus, to be in his word, to be praying, to be growing, to be applying his word, to be obeying him, to be seeking him, so that we might be the people he's called us to be. The second thing is we're called to speak the truth in love. Loving those points. You're right, Zai, you've got competition. The hardy dogs are into this message. When we speak the truth in love, we do two things. Because some of us in this room, we don't struggle with speaking the truth. You know? You, you'll tell it like it is. You'll be straight with people. Some of us in this room don't struggle with being caring and kind and loving and compassionate. But we're too scared to say the hard things. 
Or some of us who aren't scared to say the hard things aren't really loving in the way that we say them. And here we see the two things together. Paul joins them and says, for those who are stronger on truth or for those who are stronger on grace, we want to bring them together and we want to use them to build up the body. So actually we speak the truth. We speak the word. We speak the gospel to one another so that we will be built up. How beautiful would it be if I was to say to Don, hey Don, I noticed this about you last week, man. You're a son of God. God loves you. He's chosen you. You're born again. You're following him. What you did that, that week, that's not in line with the ways of Jesus. And Don says, Grant, thank you so much. You're right. I know it, but I did it anyway. Thank you for the, the truth in love. Thank you for that encouragement. We call each other to live out the ways of God through what we do. The third thing is be in working order. None of us here are perfect. I'm the pastor of this church. I am far from perfect as an individual. As the saying goes, the church is not a hospital for sinners. Sorry, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints. We're all works in progress. None of us are perfect. And we should know that about one another. If you're uncomfortable in this church because you think everyone is better than you, it's not true. It's definitely not true. There's some people in this room who if you knew all their stories, you'd be surprised. The reality is we're works in progress, but Paul is saying when we are working properly, that means that each one of us should be living out this stuff. My car is not working properly right now. I couldn't get you today, I I Ubered here. Don offered me a lift, but I missed it. He drove literally behind the Uber. But the reality is I can't use it. It's not doing the thing that it's meant to do right now. And Paul's saying that to us, is are you in working order? Are you working properly? Are you doing the things of this passage that we're called to? And lastly, build one another up in love. Speak the truth in love, build one another up in love. I think this came through earlier, but the context of all of this is love. Tool said that as he was sharing and encouraging us, be a people of love. A mature church is a loving church. When you build a building, you build it one brick at a time, one piece by piece. It's not all, you just put it down and it's done. When you build a disciple or a Christian, it's not all done like this. It's a process. It takes time. It takes steps. But as we love each other in this community and invest into one another and pray for one another and encourage one another, we build each other up in love. The best way I can think of this passage is it's kind of like a self-sourcing pudding. I'm not a huge baker. Gareth clearly is because he's bought into that wholeheartedly. So I actually, I had to Google how a self-sourcing pudding works. If I'm wrong, forgive me, but I like this illustration. There's different ingredients, there's different processes, and there's different chemical reactions. And each of these things in the self-sourcing pudding go together to form the delicious layers of that pudding, and you get that final result. And that's what we see here in Ephesians 4. Jesus gives leaders to the church who equip the church to be mature and the church ministers to one another so that the church becomes mature and it's just this process of things kind of flowing and people serving and ministering and encouraging each other and self-sourcing one another. Each one of us in this room are gifted, called, needed. God wants to use you to play a role in the lives of the people in this room, the lives of the people of the city that you would minister so that you would grow up into maturity, but also so that you would minister so that we would grow up into maturity. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, even as we speak about this today, I believe that God's already doing that in us. For some of you, you know exactly what your next steps are. You know what your response is to this message tonight. But as we end, can I ask the band to come up? 
I just want to pray for us before we sing and before we end. I want to pray that we would grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ to everything that Jesus has got for us. So can you guys stand with me and we'll pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage and we're here for it, Lord. We're here to be a mature church. We're here to be a church which is ministering to one another and building each other up in love. And even now, Lord, I just pray for that beautiful verse 13. Help us individually. Help us as a community. Help those who are not here tonight. Help us to grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Help us to have your reputation. Help us to look like you and do your stuff. Help us to be full of you, Jesus. We want more of you. And I pray for every one of us in this room that we would see you better, we would see you more fully, that we would see your beauty, and that we would follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.